And now, from God's Unchanging Word Studios in New Orleans, we are pleased to bring you news, nuggets, and insights with today's host, Tom Carey. Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to God's Unchanging Word, another edition for our news, nuggets, and insights. And today is Friday, February 4th, 2022. I keep getting amazed every week how fast the time is just flying by, flying by. All right, we've got a lot to talk about today, some really important stuff. We're going to briefly touch on the global hotspots, how the world continues to heat up. Then we're going to go into a, a bigger portion of our program today, dealing with the coming economic tsunami. What about you? Are you prepared? Or is there any way out? And what can we be looking for? Then we're going to go into pagan holidays leading into God's holy days. And if you look at that little box on the left-hand corner lower, it's called Candlemas. How much do you know about Candlemas? We're going to talk about that today also in the Nuggets portion of our program. So I'm going to get right into our program today. World Watch, global hotspots, things are heating up all around the world. Russia and Ukraine seems to be taking up most of the attention as the Ukrainians now are preparing for the war to come into their country while Russia still sable rattles. In fact, this is amazing. The Ukrainian president asked President Biden to tone down the rhetoric that he is escalating the problem. The Ukrainian president said that. They're all trying to work through it. And meanwhile, the poor people there, just in case everything breaks down, they're actually preparing to move back into bunkers, having a citizen's army who's going to fight a, a, an armed military coming in from Russia. That's not going to work. So if this thing breaks out, There'll be no stopping the amount of carnage that's going to take place this time. Meanwhile, while everybody's watching that, China and Taiwan begins to heat up. Take a look at this headline. The Chinese ambassador, Quinn Gong, warns that U.S. is strength, strengthening Taiwan ties could lead to war. This is actually in print from an ambassador from China. He says... China and the United States could end up in a military conflict if the United States encourages Taiwan's independence, according to Beijing's ambassador to Washington, Quinn Gang, said. He went on to say this. Let me emphasize this, he said. The Taiwan issue is the biggest tinderbox between China and the United States. And they've got a lot of tinderboxes going on right now. This is getting pretty tough all around the world. Every nation is beginning to jockey in position for a weak presidential program out of this country. It's very interesting that all of these things in many of these same countries are taking advantage of this just like the mid-1920s is all these nations jockeyed for position just before Hitler took place. Mussolini moved in. The war that took place with China and, and uh, Japan, everything's all lining up just like it did once before. These are the things that you're looking at right now. How about this, Heaton? Iran and its nuclear agreement. Three members of Biden's negotiating team on Iran's nuclear deal, they leave, no more going along with the negotiations, urging for a tougher approach according to the reports. What they're looking at here is they're saying, listen, this isn't working. Iran's going to do whatever they want to. They're going to steamroll everybody, and they're going to get nuclear weapons. In the meantime, North Korea begins shooting off its missiles again. They've shot over five missiles just in the month of, of January of this year already, and the last was the strongest one yet. So what we're seeing is saber-rattling going on all around the world. All it's going to take is one conflict, one negotiation to break down, and all, excuse the expression, hell is going to break loose around this world. All of these things are lining up to the return of Jesus Christ, and we know we've been teaching these things for decades, and they're on our doorsteps right now. They're on our doorsteps right now. So why is Korea, North Korea suddenly launching so many missiles? Look at this headline. North Korea finds more, fires more missiles, warns the U.S. of stronger reaction. The launch comes as Pyongyang accused the United States of intentionally escalating the situation by calling for tougher sanctions. 
they're not going to put up with it, they said. They're not going to stop this time. So what they're showing is their strength saying, listen, we're not going to listen to you guys anymore. It's interesting now is that two, two heads of state are both saying the United States is escalating this problem. Interesting. Isn't that interesting what's going on here? Anyway, I just want to bring that to our attention as we go on because I really wanted to get into this segment today. The coming economic tsunami. Sensing a tsunami. Ocean tsunamis can be detected using our human senses. Economic tsunamis also have the same natural warning. So what are we looking for? Here's what I want to do today. Is that we know that as Christ returns, when we look at the seals, the conditions of the world, we look at the duality of time, of uh, the time of ch the children of Israel in Egypt, and how they got led into Egypt in the, the years of lean and, and brought into poverty for the whole world, that you're at that stage right now. We're at that stage we're moving into. And if you were watching the economy and you watched January, it was in many circles the worst January in decades. I'm going to talk about a little bit of that financially for the stock market, for many, many companies. Well, other companies are all rising. Most of the companies haven't. The NASDAQ actually got to a correction stage. And the news is not talking about any of that for some reason. But there's something coming. It's an economic tsunami. The economics is what leads into your wars and your poverty and your famines. And you can look at history, and that's what's going on. So what I'm going to do today is my approach today is that I'm going to, I want to take the information of this economic tsunami that's coming, and I'm going to tie it in how God wants us to understand the scriptures of how he has told us and how we prepare, how we lean toward those scriptures to unveil what we're looking at here is the natural tsunamis have ways of determining what's happening too. And so I want you to, to walk with me today as I walk through this piece by piece. I will take information that we had showed in the last couple of segments of News Nuggets and Insights in my last sermon. I'm going to put it in one more time, and then I'm going to walk us through as we determine what God wants us to see and how it relates to the prophecies and the warnings that he wants us to bring into the world. All right, you got it? All right, let's move on and let's get into it now. What do we look for? All right, so as we lead into all of this, there's so much news out there. There's so much uh, false information. I, I like that fake news that are out there. Is the silencing of truth and the exploration of lies that's going on around. What are we looking for as we determine what God wants us to understand? Look what Amos 3, 7 says, a scripture we're all familiar with. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So we understand that God does not lie, right? We, we all know that. And we know that he's going to reveal his secret. But here's something that I think we haven't paid much attention to is this. We often think of this as some new prophetic revelation that God is going to do. And so we look for the prophet, or we look for the person who's got the special insight, or something that we hadn't seen before. Or someone may show up on the scene and say, God showed me this. God told me this. And, and there are people out there right now. Because you see, there's enough discrepancy of peace on earth to know that something's wrong. Almost every church can see there's something wrong. So when someone rises up and says, God told me, the ears perk up. But the Bible tells us he doesn't talk to us that way today. He says he talks to us through his son, through the Holy Spirit, and he reveals things to us this way. But in reality, it is more the unmasking of scriptures that are already recorded that God reveals things. The biggest example of this is found in the book of Daniel. Look what he says in Daniel. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are sealed up, closed and sealed up to the time of the end. So what did that just tell us? I mean, let's take a moment now. That's why I say, why don't you bear with me, walk through this. And if you can, if you can follow the line of thought going through the process of what I'm telling you today, 
God will help bring peace in your life and stability when, when the world's falling apart because you see what he's doing, he's already told us what he's going to do. It's what he says in Amos 3. So now what he's doing, he's unmasking things for those who have the mindset to know. Remember when Jesus Christ went to his apostles he, and he talked about, well, why do you speak to them in parables? He said, because it's not for them to know. So God shows us here in Daniel, it's already been written out what he's going to do. He just now begins to unmask our minds so that we can see what he's doing. But that's not new. If you go to the book of Daniel, that everything that's written is thousands of years old. But when they come into play, that's when God begins to show us what it is he wants us to know. The other thing is, how do we know we're in the end time? Because we're now beginning to understand what God was sealing until the end of days. So you see, it's like a glove that just fits hand in hand for what's going on. So how does God give us the understanding of the unsealed word? That would be the next logical step. If you were in prayer to God and say, God, well, I don't understand what this means. Can you help me? So God would begin to reveal things. He reveals to us by what he or what I've written here says by what he has already shown or done in the past. All right. So he's already told us we just didn't understand it yet. And so now he reveals it. Look at Isaiah 46:10. I declare the end from the beginning and from the ancient from what is still to come. So what God says, he says, I wrote it. I've already told you what's going to happen. He says it's, it's been in the books. So now he says it's going to happen again. He wrote the end from what he did from the beginning. So you see how that works. All right. So we don't have to work, wait for some miracle of an apostle out there somewhere or some would be prophet to say, well, God told me because you have the inspired word of God. And if you have the spirit of God working in you, you have the greatest prophet that ever lived. Your savior, Jesus Christ. You don't need another man to tell you. Because God will himself. Now, let's take a look at that now. What everything I've just told you. Now what I want to walk you through is how do you put that into practical understanding for today? How does that, how does that apply now? All right, so let me show you. I asked the question here is what caused the Israelites to be led into captivity in Egypt the first time? We all know they did. The Bible's filled with, remember, we've seen the story of the Ten Commandments and, and the children of Israel and they brought into Egypt, they become slaves. I want to share something with you for the first time. You probably never heard this. I never thought about it this way. But when we look at conditions today, we look at the environment and things that are going downhill. And we get to where the cause is. What is everybody telling us the cause is? You ready for this? Climate change. Would it surprise you if I told you that the children of Israel, if we use the definition today of what's going on, they went into captivity because of climate change. Seven years of famine. Seven years of famine led them all into accepting Pharaoh, his goods and his wealth to save them at the time. The whole world did that. That's what's going to happen again. The whole world's going to come under. You're going to have this, this great leader, one world government or governance going on. All of these things. So this is not new. So now what Satan has convinced the world as climate change is actually God's judgment of curses of unrepentant sin. That's what it is. But you might say, well, wait a minute. Joseph was down there. He didn't do anything. There's the missing, there's the missing link. Is the sin that put Joseph there was unrepented of. His brothers sold him into slavery. In the New Testament, Jesus says, brother is going to turn against brother. And he says, I have, I have a remnant and if it wasn't for the remnant, they would all be destroyed. So because of sin, unrepented sin, God put a remnant in the middle of Egypt so that when the judgment was brought forth and you had seven years of famine, is that there was somebody already there in place to save the rest of Israel. 
Sound familiar? Because that's what's going on right now. You understand that? That's what's going on right now, is that God has called you and I, as a Joseph, put us in the middle of all that was going on so that he can save mankind. Unrepentant sin. That's what took place there. Israel's sins. They sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him. They decided to sell him into slavery. That was God's intervention to work out his plan of salvation. So God tells us, if you want to know what I'm going to do, go back and look at what I've done. Now watch this. The seven years of famine today is what we call climate change caused Israel to go into a subservient state under Pharaoh. Now, knowing all of this, how do we understand what is going on into the state of captivity, moving into our lean years? All right, so what I've given you here is important information of understanding that you go to the Bible and God will lead us to what he wants us to know. We don't need to try to prophesy because Jesus Christ already has. Even with John in the book of Revelation, he told him another story of what's going to be getting to take place. So the whole book of Revelation is the fulfillment of what we see in the Old Testament. So when he says, I built on the prophets, and Jesus being a chief cornerstone, is that everything we need to know is already there. Knowing this, you can get rid of all your fears, your concerns, your anxieties, what your future is going to be. And so what if they come and attack us or they hurt us? Jesus Christ says, I'm going to give you an eternity. He says, bear with it. He said, they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. He's not asking us to take anything more than he's already taken upon himself. But you have a chance now. If you're hearing any of this, and you're hearing it for the first time, God's opening up your mind to be a part of the truth. You realize how important that is. In other words, you just won the gold ticket. Eternity. Salvation. Now, this brings us to the time and the question now. Now, again, we put it into play. How does all that information apply today? So now it brings us to the time and the question that Jesus had in his day. Now I bring us to what I gave you last week. Are you ready? All right, so here we are. Where are we in 2022 discerning the times? Matthew 16, 1 through 3. The Pharaohs and the Sadducees came tempting him, saying, Show us a sign from heaven. No, Jesus, you think you're, you're so important? Give us a sign, Jesus. And he answered, he said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and lowering. He said, oh, you hypocrites, how can you discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? So now, I highlighted here, when I went through this now, that's what I gave you last week. And I highlight this week the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus was warning the leaders. The problem with that is, is that it puts us into the state like a subservient leader of Hitler. I was just following the rules. I was following orders. So today people can say, well, they never told me. But look what Jesus says here. That same information is also given out in another area, written another way. Our personal responsibility is preparing for the return of Jesus Christ. It's right there where I put the box around the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now let's zoom that out a little bit. And now let's go to another scripture says very similar to the same thing. Luke 12, 40, 54 through 56. But this time he says also to the people. So if you think you are off the hook because here and you didn't know, no. Here he says to the people, and he tells them almost the exact same thing. He says, when you see the south wind blow, you know, and say, it will be heat, and it comes to pass. You hypocrites, you can discern, discern the face of the sky and the earth. How is it you cannot discern the time? You see what this is? So in other words, nobody's got any excuses. In other words, it's going to be so bad that you can look around and you know something's wrong. The difference today is, even in Egypt, they thought it was a, from God, their curses. Today, they don't, they, they don't think that at all. They're thinking it's going to be the right. It's going to be the conservative. It's going to be them Christians again. 
It's their fault. Just like they did the Jews in World War II. Now, so now then, knowing all that, let's look at one more thing that I brought out in the past. Here we have, I'm getting to the last seven years of time, knowing what's coming. And this is where I'm talking about the assault beginning on the elect and on the conservative people at the end time. So I put a store where we are, and then we know where we're going to, and then we have all these issues that we're going to have to deal with. The seals, the seven trumps, and we are somewhere between this one here in Deuteronomy 28, 21, where the God says he's going to make that pestilence cleave unto us. We're pretty much all this scientists now are telling you this virus is going to be something we're going to have to live with, just like the flu. It's not going away. We'll have stronger versions and lesser, lesser versions. So we've seen something move really heavy and hard, and we've seen something move lighter and faster. But when those two hit together, you're going to bring us to that seal on the fourth seal where a fourth part of the earth is going to be destroyed. There's going to be so much death and destruction by that fourth seal that it's going to bring about a hatred we have not seen yet since the type in World War II, except this time it's going to be global. When we get to that, it brings you to the fifth seal, which is the persecution. That's what will bring about persecution, and we will see the three and a half years of tribulation. Now, here's something else you can watch for, and I don't know if this will give you any comfort. People say, oh, we've got plenty of time. You have some time. How much time you got? I don't know. When Jesus Christ has come back, is, I don't know. There's a good possibility he's going to be back by 2030, by 20, 30, 31, or maybe before. Because you see, this is where the Pope and all the Catholic Church and, and so many of the people who have no God in their lives are pointing to that that's the end of the world. And Satan knows he has but a short time. But God could delay that. <clears throat> So somewhere between now and the fourth seal, when you get to that fourth seal, you know you're down, down into time where it's going to be absolute horrendous destruction. Wars are going to help bring it about. A world war is going to help bring it about. Famine, destruction, fighting all around the world. But what you're looking at now and why I brought up world events, because all of those events lead unto the fruits of these first four seals. We could be closer than we think. I don't know. We could get into 2025, 2027, 28, and this may not happen yet. So you have to keep your eyes open, and you cannot set dates. But God gave us things to look for as we go through that. So the Bible shows us through the duality of events that there will be a second captivity coming. Now, how do we know and what do we do? All right, so the Bible shows us seven ways, several ways that we're going to go into these events. One is curses. The second is godly leadership. Now, that's what we brought you before. So now let's use that information and let's go a little bit further. So what is the fruits of an ungodly nation and ungodly leaders? That would be the next logical question. You shall know them by their fruits. Let me keep an eye on my time because I know I'm taking a lot of time going through this. But this is really important that, that we cover this today. The fruits is growing instability in all aspects of our lives. The fruits now have brought us to a nation, a woke nation is the nickname they want to give it. It means that we're divided. It means that we're a broken society in nearly every avenue of our lives. And it shows us that we have become financially, morally, and let me put in one more, spiritually bankrupt in nearly all Areas of society, whether people realize it or not, that is where we are. Now keep that in mind. The question now comes to, as we go through Scripture, are we reaching the point of no return? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, again, God says, I've showed you in the past what, how to judge what's coming in the future. Look at Genesis 15, 16. Remember when God talked to Abraham and he said, he said, Abraham, he says, he gave him a vision. He gave him a dream. And in that dream, he says, the people are going to be uh, captives in a nation that's not theirs. He says, I'm going to give you a land of plenty, but then they're going to be captives. I'm going to bring them back in 400 years. And in verse 15, he says, but in the fourth generation, they shall come here again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So what that tells us now is that God still gives us time to repent. I'm going to cover a sermon on that in the near future. It's, it's a space of time that God gives us. I've talked about that in the past, but I'm going to talk about it in current events. 
Because remember, as the curses comes like seven times more, is that in between when God brings those seven times more, he holds off and he waits to see what the people will do. Is there yet any repentance? Is there any repentance? So you see that there still may be time for certain people to be called. But have we reached the point of no return? It appears from the mindset of the people who are responding to God's word. I think the decision and the die has been cut. Now it only determines who's going to be that last calling of those coming out of tribulation. That's going on right now. So now, <clears throat> all of that's my foundation of sensing the economic tsunami. It says, feel the, the economy shaking severely, follow the money. I have said that from day one because everything gears around money. That's the God of this world. Science might be the God of this world now too, huh? <laughs> but science follows the money. We've had the worst Janu January for many sectors in over 50 years. Look at these headlines. Sell the close at the final hour of trading so far in 2020, the weakest that we've seen in decades. That's actually a headline. Follow the money. So look what I've got here now. We're following the money. This is out of Bloomberg. This is from Bloomberg with selling of stocks. Look at a question they asked back in December, just last month. Well, actually in two months now because we're in February. Why are billionaires selling record shareholdings, signaling ma massive market crash coming? So see the people who, who got the money, they know the money, they can see where everything's going. They're selling their own stocks. They're taking out capital, billions and billions of dollars of capital. And nobody's talking about it. It's all perfectly legal. Mark Zuckerberg sells stock every day as billionaires continue to cash out. These are all headlines. The rich are selling stock at a record pace ahead of potential tax increases. They know they're going to be raising interest rates and increasing taxes. you got the government saying, them rich people, we're going to charge them. They'd never pay for it. When is people going to get it through your head? You can't tax the rich and get away with it because all they're going to do is they control everything. They're just going to go up on everything. And the poor slob at the bottom like you and I, the middle class or the poor, are always the prey on which they feed. So you want to go up on them? You know what that does? That gives the government more money to spend. It doesn't help the poor. When Obama took office, he said he's going to close that gap. The widest gap between the rich and the middle class and the poor took place during the eight years of the Obama administration. It's wider than it ever was. When Trump came in, it got wider. With Biden, it's getting wider. It's because you cannot control greed, who people who control the money. CEOs and insiders are selling at a record $69 billion of their own stock. And the year isn't over yet. So, yes, you see why January looks bad? Because everybody's taking all their money. Now, here's the thing. This is crazy. Zuckerberg, Dorsey, and 18 other billionaires leaded the, led the massive stocks. UX stocks over the last six months have surged 28% to record highs. So while the stocks are going out, they're taking the money out. So that when the fall comes, they got theirs. The rich get richer. And you know what? It's like sheep. Everybody just puts money into these, these, these stocks. Such exuberance helped billionaires worldwide growth by, grow by astonishing $5 trillion. Let me stop there. Because of COVID, when the world began to suffer and everybody's losing jobs, businesses closing, the schools, the children are, are inundated with all kinds of problems. The rich got $5 trillion richer. I'm not making that up. These are facts and figures on bottom lines. And now those same people are taking that money who abused the system and they're taking it out of the stocks and they're putting it in their accounts so that when their stocks go down, they don't lose their money. I don't, I don't know what else I can tell you about something. I, 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 I could do another whole segment on that. Finances is something I've studied for the last 20 years. And this is horrible what's been taking place now. 2021, the leading billionaires have been selling those same stocks for huge profits. Huge profits. More debt is coming. 
Unfunded obligations. Take a look at what's going on here. Unfunded obligations for Medicare and Social Security totaled $41 trillion in 2007. 2007, these are unfunded. They're out of money. How are they going to keep going? They're just going to have to keep printing money. $41 trillion. Unfunded obligations in 2021 from 2007 when we began warning of the coming economic collapse. Now we're all, you might still, still find it on our website. There's so much change in the meantime. But we warned everybody back then, get out of the stock market. 2008, it collapsed. I'm telling you right now. I'm not saying you have to get out yet, but I'm telling you there's enough shaky stuff going on right now that it could have another collapse coming. Could it be in 2022? I don't know, but it looks like it's getting closer. So if you've got money in the market still, you need to pay close attention to it. So when the collapse comes, you don't lose everything you got because it's not going to rebuild this time. This is the last time this is going to happen because we're close to the return of Christ. 2021, the unfunded Medicare and Social Security obligation. Let me put a box around that. See on the right there, the unfunded Medicare. You put those two together, how much we're at? $95 trillion. 95. So we went from 41 in 2007 to 19, uh, uh, 2021, $95 trillion. Unbelievable how fast that has grown. More debt is coming. The growing cost of entitlements, the baby boomers. Nearly 78 million more baby boomers will hope to collect all that money I just showed you, how it grew to 95. Well, we're going to put in about 78 more million people over the next 12 to 15 years to collect the same money with less money going in. Less money going in. And fewer workers to fund the entitlement. The disappearing of benefits, so you don't have the same benefits. You know, it used to be a lot of, a lot of uh, retirements and bonuses. It was, everybody shared in the wealth. Well, all that's been gone. It's all drying up. We're producing less goods. This is really, really important because, see, this breaks down a biblical principle. Let me show you these two boxes here. I see the red. That shows us that what we're importing. This shows us what we're exporting. We used to be a producing nation. We're now a consuming nation. That began back in 92, where it never, like the point of no return. At least before that, there was still a chance that we could sell more. And that's what we, that's what we were trying to do in the, in the um, uh, previous administration. And it just, it just wasn't working. It was starting to work. To get this turned around would take a while. So what does that tell me? When I look at that, the tsunami, it tells me, again, I go to Scripture. I don't have to have somebody tell me what's going on. It breaks down this principle, the parable of the talents. Remember the talents? We all know those stories. We talk to them as to children. You know, remember he says there was a person, he, he came and he brought his helpers together and he gave some five talents, some two, and then he gave one to someone. And he goes off and he comes back to try to collect. And the guy with five says, look, I doubled it. I got 10 now. And the one with two says, look, I doubled mine and I got four now. But he went to the one with one talent and he produced nothing. He was useless to society. He said he didn't do anything. He says, he says I know you're a tough, tough master, so I buried my money and here it is. And, and Jesus was, says, look, he was upset with him. He says, you useless human being. So he takes it back. And who does he give it to? The guy who now has 10. Our society is so screwed up. What they do now is they tell the people who's got the 10, you didn't get that. That's not right. You shouldn't have 10. Give it to the guy who just buried his talent. He needs it. But that ain't what God says. That person he calls useless. Takes what he has. Give it to someone else. Our society is so screwed up. So the very principle of what our society has built in all this aid goes against the fruits of the Bible. That's why they can't fix it, because they don't know what it is. You see my point? And we keep spending more and more money. So last week we showed about the homeless. Oh, wait till you see the segments coming up in the next couple of weeks. You stay tuned. You get some tough stuff coming. So now here we are into... Growing unsustainable debt. Look at the total interest rate we've paid so far this year. $3 trillion has gone to interest. Interest. All the money we're making, it doesn't go to pay the bills. It's going just to pay the interest to keep us going. That's from January 2022. Now, last year, 
2021, they paid $3.8 trillion. We actually paid more in interest last year than this year. Why is that? Well, take a look. The Federal Reserve takes in $4 trillion, all the things we produce. Everything we produce it brings in $4 trillion. Our interest we paid this year is 3.3. Last year was 3.8. That's because the interest rate was less. See, in 2021 and 2020, they kept lowering the interest rates to keep the, the economy going. So we're paying less in interest rates. That's all about the change. The feds now have to raise the interest rates because the inflation got so high because they produced so much dollars, breaking the principle, give it, to, give it to the guy who didn't produce anything, go take it from him and give it to him. So they keep printing money. All this is about to change. To help the slow of inflation, the U.S. feds now is going to start going up on interest rates. In advance, the stock market has already began its sell-off. The billionaires know the system. They're gaming the system. They're taking the money from the system. They're getting out where they're getting is good. How do you tell a tsunami's coming? Well, take a look. It's out there written before everybody, but nobody is taking the time to tell you what's going on. And unless you understand debt, you understand how the world runs in the economy, you won't know either. I just thank God that many years ago in the late 1990s, I got to talking to a few people and involved with some of the economics and the stocks and trading that opened my eyes like I never understood before. And I never dreamed back then that that was the thing that I needed to understand to understand the principles of the prophecy of the end time. Unbelievable, but that is true. More problems are coming. The supply chains, they haven't ended. The inflation hasn't stopped. And oil continues to rise. It almost hit $90 this week. It may by the time you get this program and expect it to go to $150 a barrel by 2023. That means whatever extra money you had is going to be gone taking care of all the oil. Because of that, everything's going up. The food now supply is going to begin to dry up down as we go. Higher prices for commodities like corn will further inflate the prices. The wheat. So if I go through this and I look at it, and I don't have time now because I spent too much time at the beginning. But in this middle chart, you look at the different, the different products. So now because of prices of fertilizers and oil and everything that it takes to run, they're having to re-decide what they want to plant. Because if you plant corn, it requires so much more nitrogen in corn than it does, say, for soybeans or for wheat. So what we need in corn, they're not going to be producing because it's too expensive. They can't afford to. They'll lose their shirt. So the farmers are failing. Fertilizer prices are driven up because of cost. Farmers are developing in the world or curtailing production, which means global hunger could worsen. Can you see how everything's lining up? So if you want to know how we're going to get to those four seals, I'm showing you, you're there now. All of these things are lining up, showing us what's coming. You're there right now. Now, why is that taking place? Now, here's something they're not, they don't want you to know. All right, you ready for this? Surging fertilizer pushes the farmers to shift planting plans and raise prices. So where's it coming from? The rise in fertilizer costs is partly because of fuel, the elevated natural gas prices, which is the key ingredient for nitrogen-based fertilizers, as well as severe storms in the U.S. So we got higher prices of oil, gas, natural gas, and we've had crop failures because of storms. But this they didn't tell you. China this past summer has banned exports of phosphate. So what does that got to do with us? Well, just like with COVID, we realize we don't have masks. We don't have gloves. Everything we get to protection, all our medicines, the pills, it's all coming from China. Our own greed has sent a producing nation to a consuming nation. And now we're at the hands of the ones who are producing Remember, God said, don't become in debt because you're going to be the beggar. Well, we are. We're the beggar. And, and now President Biden, his first day in office, made us a beggar state for oil. Shuts down a lot of our own production and then goes begging the OPEC in Russia to give us oil. Sell us oil. When you didn't need it, you were producing it. It's insane what's going on here. But China 
They banned the exports. They priced phosphorus fertilizers from $450 and $500 a ton to $830 and $920. Because we can't get what we need from China, who's the largest producer, everything else went up. China halts phosphate exports. It was a headline that was out there, but they didn't tell you about it. You just didn't know. All right, how about this? September 30th, dry fertilizer is getting ready for all fall applications in this photo from last year. The Missouri fertilizer prices this year are up 60% to 85% depending on the product. China, the world's largest phosphate exporter, has frozen exports to June 2022. That means this planting season, what they need to plant the crops to supply Oil for gas, uh, because you have a corn mixture. Food products for the, the third world countries. They're not going to be planting a lot of it because they don't have the money to. And they know if they plant it, they're going to lose money and they're out of business. So how do you tell the tsunami's coming? Well, just take a look offshore. The waves are rising. And it's about to run over mankind. The food supply chain. The surging food fertilizer costs push farmers to shift planting and raise prices. The lower grain production could translate to higher prices in farm commodities like corn and, and, and the food we eat. Commodities would further inflate prices of the pantry stables like cereal, cooking oil, as well as beef and meat. And other producers rely on heavily on grain and feed the livestock and the poultry. So you see how this works? It's all, it's all hand in hand. It's all coming to a head. It's all taking place right now. Why? Because we have abandoned God and we're coming out. That was a lot of information that I went through. I know that. I hope you have time or you'll make the time to go back through that segment, what I just gave you there, because I'm going to build on those segments. Because if we put our nose to the grindstone and we keep it in the Bible and we watch the Bible for information that's happening around the world, God will never leave us or forsake us. We will know what's coming and you will have peace in advance. But get yourself ready. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be just like Jeremiah. In fact, my sermon this coming week, God willing, I get to get this put together, is I'm going to begin, and it's probably going to be a series, Walking in the Footsteps of Jeremiah. That's what I'm going to begin talking about tomorrow, this Sabbath, right here at this podium. All right, so now, we're going to take a break now. We're going to go into the seasons, the pagan holidays, and we're going to take a break. We're going to have a, a, a mid-program. We're going to actually have a segment from last year about Candlemas. And our segment for that program is going to be called Pagan Holidays that lead us into God's Holy Days. But let's take a break. Let's take a look at this uh, video, Everyday Love, and then we'll get right into that segment. Cute little video. Welcome back, everybody. All right, let's get right back into the program here. 
But we're moving into a time period that is very important because people don't understand the pagan customs of the nation that has been brought in, just like Israel didn't understand. Like Solomon had got this temple that was still there. So now let's go through and see what we have here. Pagan holidays that are leading into God's holy days. First one. We were discussing this last week after News and Nuggets. And actually Clayton, one of our, uh, one of our volunteers who work with us here, the minister, co-pastor here in New Orleans, he brought up Candlemas. We were looking for dates. And I, I got to tell you, I said, what is Candlemas? I honestly didn't know what Candlemas was at the time. So we're going to go looking it up and wait to see what we find here. Not that we participated in it, but I'm going to show you how deceptive it is. Candlemas Day is another name for the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. It says, 40 days after his birth, talking about Jesus, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple for the rites of purification and the dedication as prescribed by the Torah, according to the book of Leviticus, that when, when a woman bore a male child, she was considered unclean for seven days. And then on the eighth day, of course, she would have the circumcision of the male baby. On the eighth day, the boy was circumcised, but the mother continued to stay at home for 33 days for her blood to be purified. After the 40 days, the mother and the father would come to the temple with the rite of purification, which included the offering of a sacrifice. So it comes to the time of the purification and the presenting of the child before the Lord. Leviticus 12, 1 through 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of his, saying that if a woman has conceived seed and a, born a male child, then she's to be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity, she's to be unclean. But the eighth day, the flesh of this foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she continue in the blood of her purifying 33 days, and she shall touch no hollow thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled." So then we get into the 40th day, 40th day. So the day that they would actually present a sacrifice for the male born, which would be, at this case, Jesus. And when the eight days have accomplished for the circumcision of child, his name, this is on verse 21, was called Jesus, and so named the angel was conceived in the womb. So when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. For it is written in the law of God, the Lord, every male child that opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's interesting. So I'm going to give you, I'm bringing out something here. They brought turtle doves or pigeons, as the Bible says here, but they had the ability to bring a lamb. See, in the Old Testament, they could also bring the lamb. So if they wanted to offer, they could offer a lamb. So why did they bring turtle doves? Normally, they would offer turtle doves and pigeons because the family was poor. They couldn't afford to, to have a lamb to sacrifice at this time. So God gave them the opportunity to bring turtle doves and pigeons. But the thing here is that they weren't poor at the time. And in fact, the wise men had just brought them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they could have had a lamb. So here's my question. Why did they bring two turtle doves or pigeons? But I'm not going to give you that answer today. I want you to think about that and see if you can go find the answer. And we'll give you the answer next week's news, nuggets, and insights. All right, so now that you got your thinking caps on, let's get into Jeopardy. You ready for Jeopardy? Here we go. Category. If we had the music, it would be awesome going on here. Music. Category. Holidays. We're going to stay in the category of holidays today. Bill Murray made this day famous from which Candlemas morphed into. What is? You ready? What's the answer? Anybody here got that? He made this day famous. It was Candlemas. The answer. What is Groundhog Day? Why is that important? Well, we have just taken and showed you from the Bible what the day represented of, of turning the, a male person back to, to God and offering the sacrifice to be accepted before the Lord. It's turned into a Candlemas ceremony, and eventually all of that's gone, and it has morphed into, believe it or not, Groundhog Day. 
covering up Candlemas. So now, what we've got here, we've got a video. So if Jeff's ready here, we're going we're gonna to play this video on the origins of Groundhog Day. Take a look. I'll be right back. It is the Super Bowl of weather. Bring out the bicycles and springtime toys. All hail Groundhog supremacy. On the second day of February each year, the Groundhog gets its moment, especially this little guy. Ladies and gentlemen, He's the world's most famous groundhog, and he makes his prediction of when winter will end every year in front of thousands of fans at a big party in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Phil makes his guess based on whether he sees his shadow. If he does, it's six more weeks of winter. If not, we're in for an early spring. The roots of Groundhog Day are centuries old. February 2nd is known as Candlemas Day, when Christians would take out their candles to church to have them blessed, and this would bring blessings to their homes for the rest of winter. This traditional belief made its way to Germany, and that's where the lore got its very first mascot, a hedgehog. The Germans believed this little guy could predict the weather, and as German settlers moved to the States, so did the belief. The problem was there were hardly any hedgehogs in America. Groundhogs, on the other hand, well, there were a lot of them and the mighty groundhog became the face of the lore. The first official Groundhog Day celebration was in 1887, and it eventually turned into a whole thing. Who's thinking spring? Nowadays, Phil is always surrounded by a bunch of guys in top hats and tuxedos. They're called the Inner Circle, also known as Punxsutawney Phil's Hype Guys. You have to understand something. There are two entities in the world that are infallible, the Pope and Punxsutawney Phil. Phil will tell his prediction to the president of the inner circle, who is supposedly the only person who understands Phil's language, called Groundhogese. This is more of a body language. He might communicate with just a little wink. The vice president then pulls out one of two scrolls, each with a different prediction, and tells everyone the news. There is no shadow of me. A beautiful spring, it shall be! Now the Groundhog Day party has become a tradition in places all over North America each with their own version of Punxsutawney Phil. There's Staten Island Chuck, Buckeye Chuck, Jimmy the Groundhog, Dunkirk Dave, and in Canada, there's Wired and Willie, Shubenacadie Sam, and Balzac Billy. So how often are groundhogs right anyway? Phil's track record is actually pretty terrible. He's right about 40% of the time, meaning you're better off flipping a coin. But this might be a case of broken telephone. Phil's predictions are always 100% correct. However, some people think he's wrong. Most likely our president has misinterpreted what Phil had predicted in the first place. Whatever the case may be, people are just hoping to hear some good news. Everybody's looking for some way to alleviate that feeling of being miserable all the time, and Groundhog Day does that for us. That's reason enough for many people to give the spotlight to these furry forecasters just once a year. Kind of warm, huh? Kind of cute, kind of fun. Just Groundhog Day. When you look at the roots of where it goes through, people have no idea where it came from. Even in this video, the origins, it never got to the Bible. It even is obscured, even in the origins, it goes just back to the Catholic Church, who changed that from the worship to God to the priest who simply blesses candles and sends them out. That's Candlemas Day. It replaces what God had intended for that particular day amazing of what's going on here. So now, let's go a little further. Did you get the first one? All right, here's another one. Let's see if we can do it. Here's Jeopardy, a category. Again, remember now, we're staying in the holidays. Following Candlemas, just 12 days later, is this popular holiday. It has its roots in Roman paganism. Anybody here got it? Wow, you guys, we... Somebody got to have that. All right, where's our music? All right, let's go to give you the answer. What is Valentine's Day? See, all these days, what's going on here is they're preceding God's Holy Day season coming up. So we spend all the time in participating in customs that have nothing to do with God, obscuring what God intends us to do as we prepare for His Holy Days. So now, I got two videos here. First one's going to be a little more popular. It's only a couple minutes long. Then we're going to start, and the second one talks about the dangers of the origins of Valentine's Day. Let's play the first one. There's no doubt about it. Valentine's Day is one of America's most popular holidays. 
More than 62% of Americans celebrate by sending greeting cards and flowers, giving candy or other gifts, enjoying romantic dinners, or all three. But the history behind Valentine's Day turns out to be somewhat surprising. For example, the roots of Valentine's Day go all the way back to a raucous ancient Roman fertility festival held in mid-February called Lupercalia. Later, the Christian Church chose mid-February for St. Valentine's Day in order to Christianize the celebration. But who was St. Valentine? Not much is known about the holiday's namesake. First of all, there was more than just one Christian cleric named Valentine. One of them was sentenced to death for performing marriage ceremonies in secret after Emperor Claudius II banned marriage for young Roman men, thinking single men made better soldiers. Pope Gelasius declared February 14 as a day for honoring the soft-hearted Valentine at the end of the 5th century. It wasn't until the 1300s, though, that the holiday became definitively associated with love and romance. Back then, people believed that February 14th was also the beginning of birds' mating season. The first written Valentine greetings appeared in the 15th century, and by the 17th century, people in Great Britain had begun a tradition of exchanging Valentine's Day cards or letters. Valentine's Day soon caught on in the U.S. as well. The first mass-produced holiday cards emerged in the 1840s, and Valentine's Day soon exploded into a major consumer holiday. Today, an estimated 1 billion Valentine cards are sent each year more than on any other holiday except for Christmas. More than 35 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolate are sold and more than 220 million roses are produced for the holiday in a typical year. Altogether, Americans spend almost $20 billion on Valentine's Day or an average of some $130 per person per year. While the most popular gifts were candy and flowers, nearly 20% of Americans splurge on jewelry shelling out as much as $4 billion annually. And those who prefer the ultimate romantic gesture are definitely not alone. A recent survey revealed that as many as 6 million couples are likely to get engaged on February 14th, continuing a long romantic history that we bet you didn't know. Well, there you have That's the wonderful part of it. After all, it was just a fertility festival, right? Let's play the second one and show you where some of the dangers of what that fertility festival was like. Let's play part two. Every February across the country, candy, flowers and gifts are exchanged between loved ones, all in the name of St. Valentine. But who is this mysterious saint? And why do we celebrate this holiday? Well, the story of Valentine's Day began during the peak of the Roman Empire, which held a festival every February. This Lupercian festival was held in honor of the god of fertility and during the festivities, young men would get to choose their mate. At the time, marriage was a common occurrence, but when Claudius became emperor, he changed all of that. He feared that men would refuse their duty to fight because they would not want to leave their wives behind. Therefore, he outlawed all marriages. However, young couples still fell in love and still wished to marry. So they took these desires to the Catholic Bishop Valentine, who, understanding love, began to secretly marry couples. When Claudius found out, he had Valentine arrested and sentenced to death. While waiting in jail, Valentine began exchanging letters with the jailer's daughter and soon fell in love with her. The day he was to be beheaded, he wrote her one last note and signed it from your Valentine. And this has become an expression still used today. Valentine's Day was originally created as a substitute because in the 5th century AD, the Catholic Church attempted to get rid of the common pagan fertility ritual that had been taking place since the 4th century BC. February the 15th was a holiday known as the Feast of Lupercalis and was celebrated to honor Faunus, a Roman pastoral god. Every year, the Romans celebrated a young man's rite of passage to the god Lupercus by holding a lottery in mid-February in which the young men would draw the names of the teenage girls from a box. The girl would then be his sexual partner during the remaining year. After the year was over, another lottery was held. Often, the lady would receive a gift or a greeting in the name of Juno, a Roman goddess. In 496 AD, 
Pope Gelasius outlawed the pagan Lupercian festival. Instead of the pagan god Lupercus, the church desired to find a suitable patron saint of love to take his place. They found an appropriate choice in the noble Saint Valentine and marked February the 14th as a celebration in honour of his martyrdom for the cause of love. This then became a time for men to give the women that they were fond of messages of love. Later during the Middle Ages, it was commonly believed in France and England that February the 14th was the beginning of birds mating season. This also added to the idea that the middle of February, Valentine's Day, should be a day for romance. The origins of the Cupid can also be traced back to the days of the Roman Empire. The small, almost childlike figure with wings and a bow and arrow shows on many Valentine's cards and is a figure taken from Greek mythology. Cupid is known as Aphrodite's son, Eros, or the son of the Roman goddess of love. In Great Britain, Valentine's Day began to be popularly celebrated around the 17th century. By the middle of the 18th century, it was common for friends and lovers in all social classes to exchange small tokens of affection or handwritten notes. By the end of the century, printed cards began to replace written letters due to improvements in printing technology. Cheaper postage rates also contributed to an increase in the popularity of sending Valentine's Day greetings. According to the Greeting Card Association, an estimated 1 billion Valentine's cards are sent each year, making Valentine's Day the second largest card sending holiday of the year. So now let me ask you a question. What does God look at when he sees everybody taking part of this warm, loving, friendly day? He sees the origination of where this came from. And through those originations, he knew that he would have to send his own son to die to remove those sins from our society. When Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be just like in the days of Josiah. He's going to send the word out from, from Jerusalem. And he's going to spin out to all the lands all around the world. And they're going to go through and they're going to pull out all the pagan customs that are still there, just like Josiah found in his day. All right, I got one more Jeopardy here. Let's see how well you do with this one. All right, holidays. This popular holiday was deeply rooted in paganism, which follows Valentine's Day. And it connects and anchors modern Christianity to the two most sacred days of the year. All right, so now we've one after another. So here we go. You ready for this? This is really important. You don't realize how important these days are until you find its roots. What is Mardi Gras? Well, as you can see, there's a lot about pagan holidays that obscures God's holy days. As we move into God's holy days, we can talk more about God's plan of salvation than Satan's. All right, let's begin to wrap it up now. February 4th, 2022, from the home office. In the mail this week, we're sending out uh, part two of the Mardi Gras section of the connection into Twelfth Night, Easter, and Christmas. And the card we sent out from last month, Repairing the Breach. All right, so if you're not on our mailing list, please sign up, get on the mailing list. And every month we're going to send you a letter and give you a card offering for a new DVD sermon. Also in the mail that went out last week is the February newsletter, and we're focused on the biblical mystery of the Battle of New Orleans and how important that is for you and I today. All right, so you'll be getting that also when you sign up on our mailing list. Well, there you have it. A lot, a lot of stuff to cover today. All right, so now let's begin to wrap it up. We'll close it as we do every week. We want to close out with a, uh, an upbeat video. So take a look. And we'll be right back to close our program. From the dust of the ground, God formed man and breathed into him the breath of life. When the Israelites were trapped with their backs to the sea, Moses stretched out his staff and the waters were parted. Samson struck down a thousand oppressors of Israel with the jawbone of a donkey. At the blast of trumpets and a war cry, 
Joshua watched the walls of Jericho crumble. With torches and empty jars, Gideon and 300 men defeated an army of 100,000. David chose five smooth stones from the stream, and with them, he struck down Goliath. 5,000 were fed with only five loaves and two fish. If God can use such small things to change the course of history, certainly he can use you. Well, there's hope for all of us. I always said, if you can use a donkey, he can use me. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed the program. I, I hope it was thought-provoking uh, to, to keep our nose in the Bible, to show how much God loves us and what He did to be able to show us the end time before it ever got here, and then to record it and unveil it for you and I. And remember, take this information and share it with everyone you know. They're going to love you for it, or not. Till next week, God be with you.